this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Goodman, the Hop Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. Before we jump into today's episode, do me a favor, head over to the website www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media. If you want to get a hold of me with like a direct way, just it's the hopnerd at gmail.com. If you've got any ideas for who you'd like to see on the show, any ideas for what you would like to hear me rant and rave about in the world of human and organizational performance and safety and culture and all the other kind of stuff that we talk about here. Or if you want to get me on your calendar, if you need some hop help, if you need help with learning teams or safety or any of that kind of stuff, again, thehopnerd at gmail.com, or you can use that handy dandy contact form over on the website to get into contact with me as well. Don't forget to head over and check out my latest book, 10 Ideas to make safety suck less you can just go to the 10 ideas.com and that is 10 1 0 10 the 10 ideas.com or if you want to win a copy we've been giving away books so all you got to do is go to win the 10 1 0 win the 10.com there's a couple steps you got to do there and then make sure that you go over on linkedin and you follow me you know sam goodman you'll find my ugly mug there on linkedin super duper easy to find because we announce the winner's there. Just make sure when you go over to win10.com that you give me your complete mailing address because I've got a couple folks I'm trying to give books to and they didn't send me their full mailing address and that makes it super hard. So if you did submit to that, make sure that you sent me like the whole thing, like country, state, zip code, like the whole thing. It's super duper helpful. And speaking of that, that's what I want to talk to you about today are the 10 ideas to make safety suck less. And I just want to talk about some of the key points, some of the conversation primers that we include in that book. And if you want to go over to thehopnerd.com and click on resources, you can get a copy of the 10 ideas with the conversation primers and the ideas right there on the website, totally for free. And if you want to get this kind of stuff to your to your email inbox, if you want to get it like on the reg and you want to get it straight direct line to you, you can provide your email there as well. And we can get those to you as we publish this stuff. There's a whole long list of just awesome stuff that again, just giving away free resources related to human and organizational performance and kind of safety stuff over on that resource page. There's some videos and stuff you can download, all kinds of cool stuff. But let's let's jump right into it. So these 10 ideas to make safety suck less. And let's just let's like rapid fire through them real quick. So first one is start from a place of trust. Two, do things with people. Three, learn deliberately and often from those that GSD get shit done. Four, pain points are starting points. Five, become obsessed with the things that actually matter. Six, more tools, less rules. Number seven, stop trying to comply or punish your way to excellence. Number eight is redefine safe. Nine is give up on safety fortune telling. And 10 is embrace humanity. So with these 10 ideas, start from a place of trust. 
And the key point here is start from a place of trust rather than distrust. Our current work worlds are built upon this kind of bedrock of distrust. Everything in our work worlds, it seems like freaking everything starts from a place of not trusting people, right? You can't carry a pocket knife because I can't trust you to do that. I'll trust you with millions of dollars worth of equipment and processes and all that, but not a pocket knife. That's way too dangerous for someone like you. Ooh, you can't put 50 cents on your corporate card without giving me four copies of receipt and allowing me to audit that purchase because you might be trying to get something over on the company and on and on and on and on. The whole point here is that we really, really, really like to not trust people and we really, really like to blame people when things go wrong. And we'll, once things do kind of go wrong, those more isolated events will point back at those things that have went wrong and say, look, that's why we can't trust people. And we especially do that in the space of employee safety, right? And so this application of blame and punishment within our work worlds, it does quite a but, 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 but it does quite a bit of shit it just doesn't do the shit that we think it does <laughs> right so i'll just throw some of those primer questions in there for you are your organizational systems built on an assumption of trusting employees or distrusting employees how regularly does your organization seek out blame when things do not go according to plan and what types of questions play them through in your head when an injury or a safety event occurs when an unintended operational surprise happens what kind of questions are asked? What are the typical things? Do you seek to understand or do you seek to blame? Are you saying, well, why did you do this and why did you do that? Or are you trying to understand how all of that made sense? So the point with this whole first idea is that we have to tune our organizations. We have to push them in this direction of, of, of trust becoming the neutral position for the organization. And we must embrace and lean into trusting of our workers, of our fellow human beings, if we desire learning and betterment. And beyond that, this whole thing with like, you know, organizations doing their whole thing, like, pretty, please trust us. I have an open door policy. Just trust me. Everything will be fine. And then like stuff happens, we react poorly and we like we beat and shame, tar and feather people. And then we go, I don't know why people don't trust me. Da, 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 da. You, you got to start right here. You got to start by genuinely extending trust through the organization. You have to lean into trusting the folks that do the work. You can't construct these massive Orwellian systems of surveillance and monitoring and ruled and harsh punishments. These massive systems of distrust. And expect people to look up and you go, well, they don't trust me, but you know what? They have my best interests at heart, clearly. So I'm going to genuinely trust them. But no, you got to start from a place of trust. Moving on to number two, do things with people. Counterpoint here is rather than two people. So stop trying to tell people what to do and focus on asking them what they need. More, more importantly, what they need to be successful. Right, so we always kind of start from this place of like, we do safety to people. We do organizational anything kind of to people because we really know what's best for them, damn it. And we're just going to do it to them, damn it, whether they like it or not, damn it, because how could they ever know what's best for them? Damn it, right? That's kind of the way that we do stuff. We just do stuff to people. And then we wonder why it doesn't work out too well for us. Right? We have to reframe that experience, especially around safety within our work worlds, moving it from something that we do to others to something that we do with others. And this whole doing things with people is a deliberate act. Like you actually have to choose to do things with people. You have to involve employees. You have to actually ask them what they need to be successful. And then you actually have to deliver on that. And you need to lean into this whole 
idea of employee involvement and micro experiment and, and try storming and just giving them stuff to fix and letting them fix it on their own. Like they have the problem. Let them solve the problem. If you let them run with it, it will absolutely blow your mind. The amazing crap that they come up with. So some of those primer questions are, how do you currently seek to bring about change within your organization? What part do your employees play in helping to steer the overall direction of the organization? And do you involve employees in the creation of the organization's processes, procedures, programs, and on and on and on? Again, do things with people rather than to people. So number three is learn deliberately and often from those that get shit done. So we have to embrace this idea of learning uh, from the folks that actually accomplish the work, the people that actually have the knowledge, right? The people that actually get shit done. And you can use learning teams, learning explorations, anything that you would like there as far as learning mechanisms, pretty much. Those two are just the ones that I found to be pretty much the most effective. Uh, and you can use those pretty much anywhere that you want to learn more or you need to learn more about something. So pay close attention to learning from normal work or about normal work. Seek to tap into lived reality. And that's what you're trying to get to. You're trying to get to what is the lived reality within your organization. Not what you think it is, not what your vice president thinks that it is because they're looking down going, everything looks great from here. And not what your directors or your safety people are. You need to know from the folks that actually get shit done. Learn from them, tap into that lived reality. And when I'm talking about learning teams and learning explorations, I like to throw this in here to not be, uh, be cautious, to not create too much structure or rigidity around that process. I've seen too far too many organizations just create these massive freaking programs and procedures to try to control the use of learning teams. And that's not the point. That's, that never works out well. And for those of you that haven't started using them, again, don't be afraid to jump in, get started. We have a, like a quick, really short, handy learning team guide if you're completely unfamiliar with it over on our resources section. So make sure that you check that out. And some of those primer questions are, how does your organization currently approach learning? How often do you seek out an understanding of normal work? And for most of us that aren't into the kind of hop world, the answer is like never, rarely, if ever, right? And what is your organization's typical approach to learning from unexpected events? Again, as you kind of think through those questions and you compare that to kind of these 10 ideas, it will really quickly tell you where you're at. Right? It'll quickly tell you where you're at and probably where you need to go. Number four, pain points are starting points. The primer questions, does your company currently invest time into discovering and learning about organizational pain points? If yes, how so? And what is the organization's normal reaction to employees bringing up pain points or issues? Again, think through your organization's current state. It'll give you a good kind of, it'll plot you out where you're on this journey, right? R really, really quick. So pain points are starting points. Pain is a signal that something is wrong. Not all that different than pain in our body, right? Like I'm walking through the house, I step on one of those freaking godforsaken Lego blocks in the middle of the night while I'm up rummaging around like a hungry grizzly bear, like tearing crap out of my refrigerator. I can't be the only one. So yeah, like you're laughing, but you too, like you know, you know those, you know that 2 a.m. kind of snack run. You get up and you're like clanking around in the kitchen, you're digging through the pantry, you're trying to find anything that's not nailed down to eat, but you step on that Lego block and it's that instant sharp pain that's like, don't do that. 
that. Get your foot off here. And the whole point there is to minimize damage, right? You grab a hot pan, you go, oh shit, hot pan, let go, right? The whole point is there is that you're forcing you to do something about it so you don't end up in like serious damage, serious nerve damage from a burn, stitches in your foot that, you know, from the Lego block that you had to get surgically removed. So pain is a signal that something is wrong, that something is not working. And there's a high likelihood that if we don't take action, there's going to be some trouble, right? There's going to be something probably not great happen. Now, the problem with this is that our pain points in our work worlds are often, a good chunk of them at least, are organizationally induced sources of annoyance and frustration to those trying to get work done. We created some of these monsters, right? Now, there's other stuff that's outside of that, just general pressures, world stuff, industry stuff that we might not have as much direct control over, but a good chunk of them are problems that we made for people. We did stuff to them. We didn't trust them, right? You see where all these things are weaving together, and now we're kind of reaping the reward of having pissed off and frustrated <laughs> employees. Pain points are starting points for deeper exploration and learning. Learning explorations and learning teams, again, a great way to learn about the existence of or more about these pain points that employees face in normal everyday work. You can uncover them and you can work with those employees to help resolve those pain points. Moving on to number five, become obsessed with the things that actually matter. So what's your organization currently obsessed with, especially around safety, quality, environmental, those kind of like critical things. What's your obsession? The answer is a lot of times, well, everything. Well, that's a bullshit answer. If you're obsessed with everything safety, everything environmental, everything quality, you're obsessed with absolutely nothing safety, quality, or environmental. You think you're doing safety, and you probably are. You're doing a lot of safety, a freaking lot of safety, but you're probably not doing much that actually matters. So do you currently prioritize or sort your efforts around any of those areas of kind of like critical things, things we got to get right? And if you do, how do you determine the meaningful from the meaningless? So with this in particular, focusing on these things, becoming obsessed with the things that just don't matter all that much, we become fixated on the appearance of safety in our work world. We're super focused on the shit that we can see, the poster on the wall, the safety meeting, the form that we make people fill out, and like oh, the 47 pages long full of check boxes that we can look down on and go, oh, I have less anxiety since they filled out that form. I know that they're safe. They're doing safety and they're doing they're doing safety work. They're not focusing on the safety of work, right? So we've constructed this belief that we get better at safety by doing more safety things, and especially the things that we can see, we can touch, we can go, we can point to and say, ah, look, there's safety stuff. But you will never stop killing and maiming workers by focusing on the things that do not kill or maim workers. So focus has to be placed back on areas of critical risk and nothing guards against critical risk not your pre-job brief, not your super duper magical life-saving rules that save so many freaking lives. None of that bullshit does much of anything when we're talking critical risk. The only thing that works really well against critical risks are robust and air-tolerant controls, life-saving controls, and safeguards. Those critical risks, those safeguards, that's where we need to get obsessed about safety stuff. That's where we need to pour all of our time and energy into. So rather than a focus on everything, we have to become obsessed with the things that actually matter, the things that actually kill or maim workers, and the things that actually work to help us not to kill or maim workers. Number six, more tools, less rules. How do you currently think about rules? And I just picked on some of your rules right there already. Your magical life-saving rules that have saved zero, saved zero freaking lives ever. Rules have never saved a single life ever, period, because rules are just 
fucking words on pieces of paper. They don't save lives. Excuse me. And what you signed up for when you came over here to this podcast, right? So do you currently use zero tolerance policies within your organization? Like your magic rules, like you violated the magic rules. So now I'm going to make you homeless. Like that seems really smart. Okay. It's a really smart way to uh, not have people ever tell you about anything relating to the shit that kills them. So what happens when you make these crazy safety rules? And then you say that if you ever even come close to violating these magical safety rules, because we have a zero tolerance policy, why the hell would I ever tell you that I had something bad happen around one of those areas of critical risk? And you're going to say, that's the right thing to do, and I've got another rule that says you have to tell me, and if you don't tell me, I'll fire you because of that rule. Do you hear how stupid it sounds? Because it is stupid. Do you, do you, do you hear it? Do you, we all hear it, right? We can all hear it. Yep, hear it. Yeah. Stupid doesn't work. Makes people not tell you stuff. Worse yet, makes people not tell you stuff about the things that actually kill people. You're creating organizational silence around the most deadly things within your organization. And then when you kill somebody, it's your fault. Sorry. Not sorry. (laughs) We got to move on. We got to move on from this view that rules create safety because they do not. We have to move on from this rule, from from this idea that there are life-saving rules that keep people from dying because they're just or not. It just doesn't work that way. Be a lot easier if it did. Didn't. Just doesn't. Didn't. Doesn't. Didn't. Doesn't. Does not. There we go. How do you determine what tools are needed by your employees and how to examine for usefulness of tools? And so I was just in the primary questions. It's probably going to get far more offensive. So if you are not into the offensive side of this, you might want to just like go somewhere else uh, right now, I guess. <laughs> but here, here's the ideas. Here's the ideas from, from more rules, less, uh, excuse me, oh, getting backwards here. More tools, less rules. It's been a long day. I usually do these in the morning. And it's like 5 p.m. right now. This is crazy. It's past my bedtime. Rules do not create safety. They create the illusion of safety and control. Workers create safety in real time by actively adapting through the world that surrounds them. Can rules act as like guideposts, some rumble strips in that? Probably, right? Are rules horrible? No, like rules are probably okay. But strict rule adherence is likely detrimental to safety and efficiency. Expecting people to blindly and just completely unthinkingly just follow your rules because you think that through that strict rule following that you're creating safety actually kills people. It doesn't work out very well. People have to sort through those things. They go, that rule doesn't make sense. And if I do that, I'm going to cut my arm off. They have to work through these things in real time. People create safety in motion. It's not something that you can just put static on a piece of paper and say, do that and you'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. Move away from rules that seek to control and move towards tools that seek to help. And even in the ways that we view rules, thinking of them more like norms than rules helps us a lot in this conversation. Like this kind of, this is the generally accepted stuff that we know is generally okay, but give some autonomy there, give some flexibility, not this strict, firm, do this or else kind of thing. Cause it just, again, it just doesn't work. It just creates silence. And if people actually did that, you know what would happen if people actually strictly followed your rules, the way that you're thinking that you want them to work would, would grind to a halt. They'd absolutely grind to a halt. How many rules do you, do you know right now at the top of your head from your organization? I would venture to guess not a lot. How many laws in whatever country you're listening to, how many of those laws that apply to you right now in this very moment, how many of those do you know? You probably know the super duper important ones and you probably don't know the rest. 
right? I, I looked it up as I was writing 10 ideas to see what here in the United States, and it's something like 36 or 3,700 criminal statutes that are on the books that apply to you at any given time, just criminal stuff. That's not all the other kind of wacky rules that you have. I don't know many of them. <laughs> Right? I, don't, I don't know many of them. I know kind of the main ones like, I probably shouldn't kill people. Probably shouldn't steal stuff. <laughs> right? Those kind of things. The point here is back to the, is, is, ugh, the point here is back to tools that seek to help rather than rules that seek to control. Moving rules to norms and focusing on providing plenty of tools that help people actually accomplish stuff. And for something to be a tool, we have a lot of air quotes, safety tools that aren't actually tools. They're safety mechanisms of control. They're just rules wrapped in a different package because tools actually have to be needed. They have to be useful and they have to be created with the people that need them. And they can't be just thrown out there because management wants you to do this safety tool. That's not a tool. Think of a screwdriver, right? It's got like, think about a tool that you use in your hand. If it makes your job harder, if it makes it uh, suck that much more or less efficient, you're going to throw it out the window and you're going to go get an actual tool. So think of them just like hand tools. Think of them just like other tools. They actually have to help do something. And you need to ask people what they need and support them with tools and resources that are based on their needs. Number seven, stop trying to comply or punish your way to excellence. Some primer questions. What level of significance does your company place on being in compliance? How does your organization react to ooh, poor audit findings? When audits reveal areas of non-compliance, how likely is your company to seek out blame? And to keep in mind, when I'm talking blame around any of these things, it can be more direct punishment or it can be more indirect punishment, right? It doesn't have to necessarily be on a disciplinary action form to be punishment. Uh, so keep that in mind. But safety-focused organizations have maxed out compliance. Complying harder does not create safer organizations. So where are you out of compliance right now? You know, you, you, you definitely know. And if you uh, can say that you're in compliance or you can say that, oh, I know where I'm out of compliance and you're working to fix it, you know those things pretty quickly because guess what? You're already really freaking good at compliance. Doing more compliance, doing it harder, does not create safer organizations. Catastrophic events still occur in compliant organizations. And an overfocus on compliance results in safety becoming just another bureaucratic activity to be demonstrated up, again, as an anxiety minimizer for management and those up through the organization. Speed. Look, we're in compliance, we're safe. Everything's fine. Don't look here. Everything's good, right? It, it, it's not, not beneficial to the folks that are actually working through doing, uh, I don't know, work. So view audit findings as a gift rather than a curse, rather than when you get those audit findings going, oh shit, or reacting poorly, the, the, re the reaction should be, oh, audit findings, good. Like really, it should be good. Great, another opportunity to work on something. Again, gift, rather than a curse. And then stop trying to comply your way to operational excellence. It's just, it's just never worked and it never will. Number eight, redefine safe. What is your current definition of safety within your organization? How much time does your company invest into prevention or minimization of low outcome events? And if a significant amount, well, why? So this is where, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about zero. And I've, I've not talked about zero because I felt like we were past that. But there seems to be like a zero's rallying again. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are seeing that. I certainly am seeing that out there. But the application of zero-based safety strategies often, if not always, causes more harm than good. We find ourselves back to that silence thing we were talking about, life-saving rules. Very, very similar. Same thing here. Zero-based approaches are wildly ineffective in the prevention of larger and more catastrophic events. 
Based on all that kind of stuff, we have this current definition of safety that views safety as the absence of events, right? So this current definition of safe drives a primary focus on numbers and targets, metrics kind of stuff. So rather than viewing safety as the absence of events, safety is better defined as the presence of defenses. And defining safe as the presence of defenses propels us towards a focus on what is actually meaningful. And it moves us away from all this kind of numbers-based crap. It moves us away from viewing safety as an outcome to manage. Number nine, give up on safety fortune telling. So safety fortune telling efforts are exactly that. We're trying to see into the future, right? We're trying to see into the future around safety related stuff. When, who, what, where, before it happens. Ooh, we'll get it one day. If we just get enough data in, we just get enough observations, enough lagging indicators and leading indicators, baby, we're going to be able to finally see the future. It's no, not, not, nope, not, sorry. I don't know what else to tell you. You're wasting, you're absolutely wasting your time. We're horrible, horrible at predicting stuff. People are just horrible at it. Not only that, but we have a bias towards predicting positive stuff. So as people, we like to, whatever outcome we want to see happen is the one that we're likely to predict happening. So we want to see events not happen. So we're going to predict that events don't happen, right? Or they're not going to be catastrophic at the very least. Ooh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're budgeting for three sprained knees this quarter. Okay. Again, what the hell good does any of that do? So how much focus does your company place on predicting events? Is it a significant words? Words, I'm too hyped. I'm too hyped up this episode, man. If a significant amount, what types of data do you use for these efforts? How accurate are you? And uh, what part does prevention play in your current approaches to the safety of work? So we're not good at predicting events. We just can't see in the future. Prevention is a good thing. I would argue that prevention is a great thing, but a soul or overfocus, which is where many of our organizations find themselves, right? We have a bias towards prevention and overfocus on prevention is harmful and similar to kind of that compliance stuff. This is the stuff we've been doing. We're good at it already. Increased focus and effort on predicting and preventing will not yield a better result. So rather than wasting your time on safety fortune telling or an overfocus on prevention, even, you know, our Our time is far better invested in designing systems that will not result in catastrophic outcomes when they fail. I'm not telling you to give away or give up on your uh, preventative efforts. Prevention, again, is good, but we don't want to bias or a sole focus on that. We want to be designing systems that fail safely. Will we prevent stuff that we can't? For sure, duh, but we're already good at it. We're already pretty good at it. So we maintain those things and we move our thought and our effort into this idea of creating systems that will not result in catastrophic outcomes, systems that will not kill operators, systems that will not cut off arms and blind people, that that kind of stuff. Number 10, embrace humanity. So a few primer questions. How does your organization typically view workers? Uh, what what does the term human error mean to your company? And do you view error as a choice? So traditional safety management views we dehumanize people. We do dehumanize workers. I mean, all the shit that we've just been talking about, that's so much of it, right? We're, we're treating workers like garbage because we don't trust them. So we do stuff to them and we give them more and more rules and we try to force more and more rules down their throat. We try to comply our way. And when we can't comply our way into excellence, we blame and shame. When events do happen because we view zero as the, the, the definition of safe, we blame and shame and on and on and on and on. We're trying to predict and prevent every bad 
everything from happening because of all these pesky people. We've got to predict it all and prevent it all. All that kind of stuff. It's because we treat people like shit. We do dehumanize workers. Human error becomes the boogeyman, and the elimination of this boogeyman becomes the futile quest of the organization. But error is not a choice. It's just not, right? Air is an unexpected thing. We do not choose to err. It's just, just, just not. To err is human, right? If our desire is to learn deep and contextual information, we've got to let go of this notion that human error is the cause of events. It's always there. It's, it's the ever present, but it's super duper boring because it doesn't tell us anything that when we say, well, somebody messed up, the response should be duh, like, duh, somebody messed up. Of course they did. Like we're people. That's just what we kind of flip and do. We, we mess up. We're super good at it. Like it's just what we do. So we have to design our systems with that in mind, not try to eliminate humanity from our organizations. We have to embrace humanity, the human element within our organization. So deep and purposeful learning leads to overall system betterment and will help us maintain and improve upon life-saving controls and safeguards. But we can't get there unless we're willing to accept that error is not a choice. Error is normal. It's so normal. As Todd Conklin has said many times, one of my favorite quotes from him, error is so normal that it is boring. So those are the 10 ideas. Again, Start from a place of trust. Do things with people. Learn deliberately and often from those that GSD get shit done. Pain points are starting points. Become obsessed with the things that actually matter. More tools, less rules. Stop trying to comply or punish your way to excellence. Redefine safe. Give up on safety fortune telling. And number 10, embrace humanity. You can read all about those 10 ideas and a lot, lot more in 10 Ideas to Make Safety Suck Less, which is available on Amazon, anywhere that you find books, pretty much. You can head over to uh, the 10 Ideas, one zero again, it's one zero, the10ideas.com or whenthe10.com uh, to check out more about the book or to enter to win a copy. Uh, this whole book's focus was on bringing human and organizational performance to life within your organization as told from a safety and hop practitioner, meaning that like I practice this stuff, like I've, I've done this working internal to organizations and consulting to organizations. I've been there in the trenches going through the same crap that you're going through. So hopefully it provides a lot of resources for you, a lot of tools, a lot of good stuff that you can actually take and carry forth you can carry forward into your organization and uh, do safety a little bit better and not even do safety, bring about safety better, bring about human and organizational performance within your organization. So that's all I've got for today. Again, make sure you head over, you check out the website. Oh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So it's just thehopnerd at gmail.com. Let me know. Get into contact with me. I'd love, I love hearing your feedback. Love hearing who you want to see on the show. If you want to be on the show, let's do it. Send me an email. We'll make it happen. We'll get some time scheduled. I've got more guests coming up. It's going to be a fun, fun, fun time. But that's it. That's it. I'll shut up. I'll quit ranting for today. You know I got to throw a rant episode in you every now at you now and again. And the ten ideas at least at least uh, you know um, number six more tools less rules. That's a really great one to rant about. If you can't tell, I like to rant about that one in particular quite a bit. But that's it. Until next time, Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, signing off. Bye everybody. Bye.